Welcome to this service. I feel well equipped to fill this role, as in fact, I am a professional welcomer. My job in intensive care at the SAN includes welcoming visitors and families to intensive care, gauging their emotional needs and working on that, sometimes even being a peacekeeper. Many of you have met me in this role and it has been my privilege to ease the way when things have been stressful for some of you. You know who you are. Because of what I do, I'm interested in how others carry out similar jobs. It seems to me, especially in the medical field, that the criteria is to choose the grumpiest person to fill the role. It disturbs me greatly, and so it is that I have developed a sensitivity to how welcomed welcomes should look like. A genuine smile is necessary, warmth and compassion should be felt. And so I, I am hoping today that wherever you are and however you are feeling, you know that you are warmly welcomed to partake of this service in a fashion that we've been accustomed, become accustomed. We are adapt now at virtual hugs. And I hope that on this morning, you feel one coming from me. May we be richly blessed as we sing along to the music and listen to the words inspiration has brought to Jim, the master storyteller. Good morning and happy Sabbath to you all. I hope you're comfortable at home. Today, I believe it's this 31st sermon that we're broadcasting via this method. So hopefully you gain a blessing and enjoy it as well. Let's start off with a bit of prayer. Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have all things under control. Thank you that the message that you've arranged today for me to deliver for you is your message. I pray you humble me. I pray that what I say, think and do is yours to bring a blessing to people that are out there listening to this now or at another time. Thank you for your love. In your name, amen. So there's three things I'd like to work through today. One is about, is a peacemaker a good or a bad thing? What does a peacemaker look like? And then my personal wrestle about being a peacemaker. But first, and to help set the scene, I want to introduce you to my family. Some of you may have seen them, some of you may have not. Michelle Gibbons took these photographs back in February this year before we went into lockdown in March. So starting from the right of the screen and moving across to the left, what you have is Natalie, my daughter-in-law, and then Daniel, my son. Next is Vanessa, my very beautiful and darling wife of 19 years. Then me. One more across to my left is Josh, our miracle IVF baby who is 11 years old. We then have Damien, my son-in-law. You may see him on the campus at Castle Hill in Kellyville. He uh, helps with the lawns and other maintenance jobs. Say hi. And to the far left of the screen is Rachel, my daughter. Rachel and Damien are due to have their own daughter in early December, two weeks from today, the 10th. 
and that will make me a bapu, grandfather in Greek. So thanks for indulging me in showing off my family to you. But like I said, it's going to help set the scene. So why is it helping set the scene? Because I want to share a bit of a story about Josh. Josh, as I said, is 11 years old. When he was about to turn eight, three years ago, in year two, I happened to be picking him up on a Friday afternoon in May. And Vanessa gave me a phone call as I was pulling up into the car park just outside here. And Vanessa said, I've received a call from the principal. Josh has been involved in an incident and you need to see the principal. So I'm not sure you get the gravity of this. This is multifaceted for me because at school when I was sent to the principal's office, it was more often than not to get the cane. So here I am going to the principal's office because my son's been involved in an incident. I was going to say the best I ever had, but probably the worst I ever had was two lots of 12. So Josh was going to be in big trouble because he was involved in an incident. This was Friday. Sunday we had his birthday party planned. It was going to be downstairs in the church hall. We had all of his year two folk invited from both classes. Vanessa and I said, we're cancelling the birthday party. He's been a bad boy. That's it. So Eno walked to the principal's office, ready to have this discussion to get the bad news about Josh. Long story short, we found out from the principal another feedback that the day before, Josh and a few boys were lining up in the car park, in the play area, to then be picked up. And a number of other boys were picking on a boy in year two. The boy stood out for a bunch of reasons, didn't quite fit in socially, but he was being picked on and picked on and picked on. So Josh and the boys on that Thursday afternoon said, we need to do something, but it was time to go. Friday morning shows up. We hear nothing about any events on Thursday night. Friday morning turns up. And Josh, I find out later, with these few boys, went and confronted the bullies and said, enough. Stop picking on our friend. Enough. What transpired after that is Josh was pushed to the ground three times. And one time he had one of the boys on top of him with his hand pushing into Josh's face. And Josh kept on saying, I'm not going to stop. I'm not scared of you. But he said, Dad, it was right there. The big lump was there and my heart was pounding. Here I am half an hour earlier, Vanessa and I saying, that's it. Birthday party finished. Being a bad boy. To, I am so proud of my son. Standing up for somebody else. And these other boys as well, standing up for somebody else. So was Josh's involvement with this incident a good or a bad thing? Let's unpack that as we go. There's a Nobel Peace Laureate called Jodie Williams. She's an active peacemaker, not a passive. She doesn't take a passive position. What she says is she wants to reclaim 
that what peace really means, sustainable peace with justice and equity in which the majority of people on this planet have access to enough resources to live dignified lives where these people have enough access to education, healthcare, so they can live in freedom from want and freedom from fear. From fear. This is called human security. That's Jody Williams. You can look her up. So was Josh being a peacemaker? I think so. My current employer, I've been at UNSW now for almost four years now. I'm not an academic or a researcher. I'm just a simple program manager running several large multi-year programs for the HR function that impact uh, many thousands of staff and students. I'm not sure if you've been to UNSW, but the library lawn, there's three busts. Only men, they need to fix that up at one stage, hopefully in the future. But there's three busts that fascinate me of why they're there. And in addition to Josh's experience that we just shared, that I just shared with you, these three people have helped me understand what a peacemaker looks like. The first one is Mahatma Gandhi. Just a very quick background on Gandhi. He led a successful campaign for India's independence from British rule and is considered the father of his country. Gandhi is, an esteem, is esteemed for his doctrine of non-violent resistance and he continues to inspire human rights movements around the world. On his statue there is engraved... An eye for an eye makes the world blind. Next one on the lawn, you may recognise this face, is Nelson Mandela, a civil rights advocate who led a campaign of mostly non-violent protest against the African government's racist apartheid policies. He was an anti-apartheid revolutionary, political leader and philanthropist who then became president from 94 to 99. He was the first black president in the first fully democratic election. And his government focused on dismantling the apartheid. He was a controversial figure and critics on the right denounced him for being a communist terrorist. Those on the far left deemed him to be a too eager to negotiate and reconcile with the apartheid supporters. He ended up, when he was freed from prison, receiving 250 honours and also, again, the Nobel Peace Prize. One of his famous sayings is, for to be free is not merely to cast off one's chains, but to live in a way that respects and enhances the freedom of others. The other one on the lawn is Martin Luther King Jr., who was a Baptist minister and who became most visible spokesperson leading the modern American civil rights movement. He drew inspiration from his Christian faith, but also, interesting enough, from the peaceful teachings of Gandhi. So King, again, led a non-violent movement to achieve legal equity for African Americans in the United States. On his sculpture there, it says, 
Darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. As an aside, and maybe Marvin, you can use this in one of your upcoming trivia nights at some stage, but if I look at the timeline when I was doing this research, it's quite interesting. We have Gandhi, you can see when he was alive. You can see when Mandela was alive. And you can see when King Jr. was alive, a very short period of time. It's fascinating when I was doing this research that they were, at one stage they were all alive at the same time. And when Mandela got out of prison, after being in prison for 27 years in 1990, sorry, Mandela got out of prison in 1990. During that 27 years that he was in prison, he would have heard of King Jr.'s assassination. I want to remind you of what I said before, what Jody Williams said. Peace is an active position, not a passive position. She wants to reclaim peace that means is sustainable with justice and equity in which the majority of people on this planet have access to enough resources to live dignified lives, where these people have enough access to education and health care so that they can live in freedom from wants and freedom from fear. This is called human security. You may have heard of the Relevant magazine. One of the authors in August uh, 2016 wrote an article, How to Be a Peacemaker in World of Conflict. Just want to quote a couple of bullet points on what he said. The first bullet point. We know what God is committed we know that God is committed to justice and reconciliation and has chosen to work through people to accomplish it. That's you and that's me. The second bullet point people peacemakers are not those who ignore issues or try to smooth things over without actually resolving the issue. Third bullet point, peacemakers are willing to put themselves in the middle of conflict and point towards important unchangeable truths. And I love this. There's three unchangeable truths that he mentions. God cares about justice. God cares about every son and daughter. That's everyone. Not exclusive, not just SDAs, not just Protestants, but every son and daughter daughter, and God's kingdom is multicultural. Don't you just love the potluck lunches when it's multicultural? The last bullet point I want to read out from his article, it's only a five-minute read, it's not very long. What better opportunities to influence others do we have than by being a voice which values and the dignity of everyone, by refusing to choose sides in an argument, but instead taking the side of love and caring and dignity, which is exactly what Jesus did. When I think about what Castle Hill Church stands for, being the most loving church, this resonates with me with what 
Thomas said, taking the side of love and caring and dignity, which is, what, which is exactly what Jesus did. That's Castle Hill for me, the most loving church. So let's explore a couple of spots in the Bible about what Peacemaker looks like now. You've probably heard of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. I'm not going to go through these bit by bit. Feel free to take it, note it down and read them later. I just want to talk about a couple of bits. But each of the Beatitudes talks about a circumstance and a result. So there's two parts. So the circumstance in the first group is they are poor in spirit. And the result is the kingdom of heaven is theirs. The second group are in a circumstance of mourning. And as a result, they will be comforted. That resonates a lot with me because last week, my cousin Maria lives in Sydney and my cousin Jim, who lives in Cyprus, their parents passed away, both parents passed away within three days. Totally separate issues and incidents. Both parents passed away in two days. Sorry, in three days, both parents passed away. The funeral was held last night in Cyprus, 10 o'clock our time. So to Maria and Jim and family, this is saying to you, your mourning, you will re- receive comfort as a result of your mourning. Hard to deal with right now. Family continues to be around you for support and prayer. I want to jump to the seventh point in the blessings, which talks about the circumstance of being a peacemaker. And what does it say? The peacemakers are called children of God. Now, why does that mean anything to me? Why should that mean anything to you? Let me indulge again in another story, and again about Josh, show it to my other kids and family, but another story about Josh. So some of you probably know that I had cancer two and a half years ago, and it was dealt with uh, quite successfully, and no major issues uh, resulting from that. And touch wood, as we say, praise God, more like it, that I'm still um, cancer-free after two and a half years. But soon after the surgery, we were in the city celebrating my sister-in-law's birthday and Josh, two and a half years ago, was sitting next to us and he said, Daddy, I've got a terrible headache and we didn't have anything for him. I don't cope with humidity very well. I said, Josh, we're down near the rocks. I said, Josh, I'll be back. Daddy, don't go. Please don't go. I said, I'll be back. I went out there soon after my surgery. I felt like a mess. I came back dripping but I went to Circular Key, found a pharmacy, came back with some headache stuff for him. And he said, Daddy, thank you so much. But you didn't have to do that. I said, Josh, do you understand if you needed my arm, I would give you my arm. His little eyes were just looking at me. He said, Josh, do you understand if you needed my heart, I would give you my heart. And Josh said, but you would die. That's what family is about. So when the Bible tells me that I'm a child of God, that's the depth and breadth that I feel when I hear and see that scripture. I'm called a child of God. 
Let's read another part in the Bible. In John 7, 53 to 8, 11, we hear about a woman caught in adultery. I find it fascinating. If someone's caught in adultery, there's normally more than one person. But the woman's caught in adultery. I won't read this through bit by bit, but you know that Jesus stood in between them. They were about to stone her. And what did Jesus do? He didn't tell them to stop. He didn't tell them they were wrong. He didn't tell them to leave her alone. He just started writing and said to them, hey, go ahead. Whoever's without sin, cast a first stone. Jesus put himself in the middle of that conflict and pointed people towards the unchanging truths that he cares about justice, that he cares about every son and daughter. Jesus, in that occasion and many other occasions, was the voice of valued dignity for this particular woman. And Jesus refused to take sides to say whether she was right or wrong, but instead took the side of love, caring and dignity. She knew she was a child of God when all that happened. Another Bible story. Once again, I'm not going to read this, but in Luke, we hear about a sinful woman who anointed Jesus. In Luke 7, 36 to 50. So I want to put something to you. I think there's two peacemakers in this story. Two peacemakers. So if you remember, she comes in, she washes his feet with her tears, dries her, his feet with her hair, pours expensive um, perfume over his head and his feet. Um, yeah, she could have done this at another time, a time where no one else was around that would have been less visible and therefore less controversial. But I think she intentionally chose this time and this place to show her love for Jesus. Both the woman and Jesus, I believe, were peacemakers. She could have just hidden the corner and done it on the side, but she came out because, and Jesus then responded, when we put ourselves in the middle of conflict and point towards important, unchangeable truths, we show our through our activities that God cares about justice. We show in our activities that God cares about every son and daughter. And we show in our activities that God's kingdom is multicultural. When we are a voice that values the dignity of everyone, when we refuse to show side, two sides in an argument, but instead take the side of love, caring and dignity, that, I think, epitomises what a peacemaker is. And then I love what it says in Matthew and Mark about this particular woman. Let me quickly share that with you as well. In Matthew 26, 13 and Mark 14, 9, it says, I tell, I, truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached, throughout the world, 
not just where they were, but throughout the world, wherever the gospel is preached, everywhere, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. So picture this, picture this. The gospel's going around, the good news. And that's going to be preached to the whole world, yeah? And what everyone will know about this woman is what she did. It's a big deal. So I like to sum it up again with what Thomas said. We put ourselves in the middle. It's not a passive thing. It's a very active thing about justice, about making sure everyone's a son and daughter, that we break down the walls of issues with multiculturalism, that we have lift up people so they have dignity, that we don't choose sides in an argument, but we choose to love, care and show dignity. I'm not sure if you've walked into a room where there's some candles that have been burning or some strong perfume. You can't stop it from going to a particular spot unless you've got a big fan blowing on it, but it goes everywhere. That's what this woman did. It will go everywhere what she did. She was a peacemaker and so was Jesus. One more Bible verse. In James 1:19 and 20, we read, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Peacekeeping is not passive. Peacekeeping is active. Being active does not equal anger. Because it says right here, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. And I can almost hear some of you out there listening to this now and saying, but Jesus got angry, Jim. But Jesus got angry. He overturned those tables and the money changes at the temple. Well, maybe not right this moment, but I invite you to have another read of Matthew 21, 12 to 16, please. And maybe there's an alternative narrative there about what Jesus is, actually did. I suggest to you that Jesus was like a shepherd with his rod and he's just tapping, tap, tap. He's not whack, whack. It was tap, 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 come on. Apart from what I've read some theologians say about Jesus being a shepherd, if you also look at verses 14, 15 and 16, it's very revealing. It says that, imagine if you're blind or lame and you're there and you're hearing all this ruckus going on. If he was screaming and throwing things around, saying, get out, get out, and throwing things around. I'm sure if I was there blind, or if you were there blind, you wouldn't be just sitting around. You'd be trying to make yourself small and scurry away somewhere a bit more safe. I'm sure if you were a child, and if there was someone, if you're seeing someone angry and hearing them being angry and yelling and overturning tables, chances are the children wouldn't be hanging around. But I suggest to you, An angry Jesus would have scared the blind, lame and the children away. You read what it says. The lame and the blind came to him. The children were there singing his praises. They didn't go away. 
Jesus was not passive. He was very active in peacemaking and he didn't get angry. I think I've established the first two points. Being a peacemaker is good. I've shared some stories and examples of what a peacemaker looks like with Josh, Gandhi, Mandela, King Jr., the woman caught in adultery, the sinful woman anointing Jesus' feet. So I want to briefly close out by talking about what my wrestle is with being a peacemaker. At a previous employer, I was part of an interview panel and we were, there was four of us, all males, getting ready to interview a female. And there was an inappropriate statement made by one of the men in the room about interviewing this female. And it was very awkward, uncomfortable. There was an uneasy embarrassment that I was feeling. I did the, what am I going to do? My pulse was increasing, my face was getting red, there was a lump in my throat. I was seeking courage and I had this fear in me. But I said, hey, that's not appropriate. Oh, it's only a joke, it's only a joke, don't get too serious. We went on. Another man in the room made another inappropriate, not totally offensive, but inappropriate comment. The other gentleman in the room said, hey, enough. You know, I've been teaching the teens for quite some years and at the moment we only have boys in the group, which is unusual, it does change. And at times we talk about domestic violence in Australia and the message I give to the boys about that, which is really important the boys actually hear this, is that one woman in Australia dies each week by a current or former partner. I'm not saying any, every inappropriate joke about females leads to that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm not trying to be alarmist. But I'm saying we as men need to stop it. We need to show our boys it's not appropriate. Another example, and then I'll close out. In another employer, there was a large project team and we're trying to work out what's the culture of the project team so then we can actually work out our strengths. And one of the um, change team came up with, a, found a survey talking about 24 strengths. My highest strength was honesty. At the time, my lowest strength was zest. On reflection, the reason why my lowest strength was zest is because being honest in an environment that disdained honesty would leave me exhausted every day, would leave me questioning myself. So my wrestle with being a peacemaker is associated with fear and exhaustion. So how do I live as a peacemaker when I have fear and exhaustion? I lean in to my current go-to song that Vanessa will sing for us shortly. The song is called Stand in Your Love. When I lean into this song, I connect back to the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 9 that says the result is I am a child of God. Let that sink in for you. Really sink in. 
are you listening to what I've been told, what you've been told, that I am a child of God, that you are a child of God? The words of the song are immensely powerful, lifting and strengthening to me. At the same time, they humble and they give me goosebumps. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can save. There's power in your name. There's power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for showing us what a peacemaker is. Thank you that you've shown us that it's an active position that you want us to take. Thank you that you've shown us that we're your children when we're peacemakers. Thank you that you give me strength, courage, wisdom and recharge my batteries when you ask me to go out and be a peacemaker. I pray, Lord, that everyone at Castle Hill Church, everyone that's listening to this, anywhere they may be, today or any other time, will receive what they need to receive from you so they can be peacemakers as well. In your name, amen.